Chapter Nineteen of The Devil's Garden by W. B. Maxwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's Audiobooks. Com. Chapter Nineteen. As so often happens toward the latter part of April, there had come a spell of unseasonably warm weather. Thunder had been threatening for the last week, and now at the end of an oppressive day you could almost smell the electricity in the air. Mavis warned Dale that he would get a sousing when he told her that he was obliged to go as far as Rodchurch. "'Won't it do tomorrow, Will?' "'No, I shan't have time tomorrow. Remember, I'm not made of barley sugar. I shouldn't melt, you know, even if I hadn't got my mat.' Nora fetched him his foul-weather hat and ran for his umbrella. "'No,' he said, "'I don't want that, my dear.' And he smiled at her very kindly. "'Besides, if we're going to have a storm, an umbrella is just the article to bring the lightning down on my head.' Nora pulled away the umbrella hastily, as though she would now have fought to the death rather than let him have it. "'Don't wait supper, mate. I may be latish.' He walked fast, and his mackintosh made him uncomfortably warm. The rain held off, although now and then a few heavy drops fell ominously. It was quite dark, a premature darkness caused by the clouds that hung right across the sky. There seemed to be nobody on the move but himself. The street at Rodchurch was absolutely empty, the tobacconist's shop at the corner being alone awake and feebly busy, the oil lamps flickering in the puffs of a warm spring day. He took one glance toward the post office and then went right down the street and out upon the common. The house that he was seeking stood a little way off the road, and a broad beam of light from an open window proved of assistance as he crossed the broken and uneven ground. While he groped for the bell-handle inside the dark porch, he could hear, close at hand, a purring and whirring sound of wheels that he recognized as the unmistakable noise made by a carpenter's lathe. As soon as he rang the bell, the lathe stopped working, and next moment the Baptist pastor came to the door. "'Mr. Dale, is it not?' "'Yes, good evening, Mr. Osborne.' pray come in thank you can you spare time for a chat surely i was expecting you dale drew back and spoke coldly almost rudely indeed i am not aware of any reason for your doing so i ought to have said hoping to see you oh may i ask why mr osborne laughed contentedly since i saw you at our service you know please come into my room it was not an attractive or nicely furnished room. All one side of it was occupied by the lathe, bench, and tools, and on this side the boards of the floor with the carpet rolled back were covered with wood shavings. There, take off your wraps and be seated, Mr. Dale. I'll sort my rubbish. Stuffy night, isn't it? Dale noticed that there was no bookcase, and he could not detect more than six books anywhere lying about. Perhaps there were some in the chiffonier he would have expected to find quite a little library at a house tenanted by this sort of man. What do you think of that? And Mr. Osborne handed him the small round box which he had been turning. I amuse myself so. It's my hobby. You don't feel the want to read of an evening? No, I'm not a bookworm. But one has to do something, so I took up this. If the folk chafed me, and Mr. Osborne smiled and nodded his head, well, I tell them that infinitely better people than I have done carpentering in their time. Of course, they don't always follow the illusion. Dale himself did not follow it. 
he understood that this was light and airy conversation provided by mr osborne for the amiable purpose of putting him at his ease he had taken off the slouch hat and loose coat that had made him look like some rough shepherd or herdsman and now as he sat stiffly on a chair showing his jacket breeches and gaiters he looked like a farmer who had come to buy or to sell stock his manner was altogether businesslike when after clearing his throat he explained the actual reason of the visit if it would not be troubling mr osborne too much he desired to obtain information about baptist tenets adult baptism total immersion and so on mr osborne declaring that it was no trouble and in an equally businesslike manner gave him the information is there anything else i can tell you i am afraid of putting you out not in the least well then if you're sure i don't trespass mr osborne the kind way you're receiving me makes me venturesome i see an ash-tray over there proving you sometimes favor the weed would you mind if i took a whiff of tobacco a pipe why surely not you won't join me no thanks but i'll tell you what i will do and mr osborne emitted a chuckle i'll go on with my boxes if you'll allow me i should greatly prefer it you know i can listen just as well while i'm fiddling away at my nonsense i find said dale as he filled his pipe that i rely on smoking more and more seems with me to steady the nerves and clear the brain i know there are others that it just fuddles exactly mr osborne had gone back to the lathe and the pleasantly soothing whir of the wheels was heard again while a fountain of the finest possible shavings began to spin in the air for a few moments dale watched him at his work his gray hair flopped about queerly he made rapid precise movements and he talked as though he still had his eyes on one although his back was turned there are matches at your elbow mr dale on that shelf beside the flower-pot thanks mr osborne he wore a loose blue flannel coat and dale wondered if this was a garment that he had bought years ago to play cricket in perhaps he had belonged to a university it was quite clear that he must have had an extremely liberal education to start with and dale thought again what he had thought just now in the porch that one ought to be precious careful in dealing with a man of such a natural and acquired powers however the fact that mr osborne was continuing his work and yet as he had promised at the same time listening properly made the interview easier and dale more comfortable he recovered his self-confidence and after puffing out a sufficient cloud of smoke talked weightily and didactically i am desirous not to exaggerate but i would like to state that i was well impressed by my experience of your ritual if that is the correct term i seemed to find what i had not found elsewhere if i may speak quite openly i would say it appeared to me there wasn't an ounce of humbug in your service no oh, i hope not now in the event of a person wishing to become a member in short to embrace the baptist faith entirely there are one or two points that i'd like to have cleared up then dale asked a lot of questions and the pastor seeming to go on with the work answered over his shoulder or looking round for an instant only dale wished to learn all about the method of receiving adults he asked also if anything in the nature of confession or absolute submission to the priest would be required and the pastor said no nothing of that sort such a person must of course bring a cleansed and purified heart to the ceremony or it would be the very worst kind of humbug for him to present himself at all 
but that was a matter which concerned him and God, who reads all hearts and knows all secrets. Mr. Osborne said it had never been the practice of Baptist ministers to insinuate themselves into the private secrets of their flocks. They left that to the Roman Catholics. Dale heartily commended the Baptist custom. He said that much of his objection to religion had been caused by what he read of the Roman Catholic faith. As a responsible man, he could never bring himself to that abject submission to another man, however you sanctified and tricked out the other man. Besides, no man of mature age cares to make a complete confession of his past life. There must always be things that he could not force himself to disclose. Follies, indiscretions, perhaps the grievous mistakes which he himself wants to forget, knowing that improvement lies in determination for better conduct, and not brooding on past failure. Mr. Osborne looked round and used a gentle, deprecating tone. "'You speak of your objection to religion. But, Mr. Dale, you are a singularly religious man. You are, really. I will postpone that part of it, if you please.' And Dale became rather stiff again, but with the intention of averting to it later. What I wish first to lay at rest is something in regard to the hymns employed on the occasion of my attendance. The numbers were 126, 659, and 110. Now, I ask you, as man to man, feeling sure you'll give me a straight answer, were those hymns specially selected for the reason that I had chanced to drop in? Mr. Osborne stopped work, looked round quickly, and his face was all bright and eager. No, but did you feel there was a special message to you in them? I wouldn't put it quite like that, said Dale guardedly, because it so often happens. It has happened again and again, to my own knowledge. You'll understand, Mr. Osborne, that I didn't take them as any way personal to myself, certainly not any way offensive, but it occurred to me that it might perhaps be the habit whenever a stranger dropped in to pick out hymns of strength with a view to shaking him and warming him up, as it were. The pastor resumed his work. Those hymns were given out the day before, Saturday. Sister Eldridge had asked for 126. Number 659 was, as far as I remember, also bespoken, and I chose number 110 myself, because it is a great favorite of mine. So you see, Mr. Dale, at the time we settled on those hymns, we did not know that you were coming, and perhaps you did not know it yourself. I did not know it, said Dale. Tell me, said Mr. Osborne, how doubt has assailed you. Ah, there you put me a puzzling one. And Dale puffed at his pipe laboriously. You oughtn't to doubt, you know. You have what men prize, wife, children, and home. You thrive, and the world smiles on you. Yes, I'm more than solvent. I hope to leave Mrs. Dale and the babe secure. But you don't feel secure yourself. I banked a matter of seven hundred last year. You know I didn't mean that. Mr. Osborne worked briskly and sent the shavings almost to the ceiling. But still, lots of men have told me that material prosperity renders faith easy and doubt difficult. That's the awful danger of trouble the danger of thinking that God has deserted us. It's easiest to recognize His hand when all's going well with us. That's our pure human nature. And then when our sorrows come, it's the devil's innings, and he'll whisper, Where's God now? He isn't treating you very kindly, is He, in return for all your praying and kneeling and believing? Yes, that just hits the nail on the head. 
That's what I said at a period when trouble fell upon me. It was how the doubt came in and the belief went out. And nowadays, when, as you mentioned, things run smooth, and I know I've much to be thankful for, the doubt holds firm. For one thing, probably, I read a great deal. I've crammed my head with science, can't ever have enough of it. But, of course, I'm but an ignorant man compared with you. Oh, no. Yes, I bow down to education whenever I meet it. I needn't apologize because I hadn't many advantages. I try to make up by application. I read, and I'm always thinking, and having mastered the rudiments of science, I can look with some comprehension at the whole scheme of nature, with the result that, viewing my own affairs in the same spirit that I view the whole bag of tricks, I ask myself the same old question of Q.I. Bono. What's that? That's Latin, said Dale. Q.I. Bono. Oh, yes, exactly. Where's the good? Whatever one has, it isn't enough if this life is all we've got to look to, and there's nothing beyond it. Mr. Osborne had let the wheels run down. He came and sat opposite to Dale, and spoke very quietly. There is everything beyond it. And supposing that's so, one's difficulties begins bigger than before. It's the life risk a million times larger all over again, success or failure, punishment or peace. That's better than what happened to the match you threw into the fender, extinction. I want to believe, Mr. Osborne. I wish to speak with honesty. I feel the need to believe. If you can make me believe, you'll do me a great service. The service will be done, but it won't be I who does it. I want to be saved. I want the day when you can tell me I have gained everlasting salvation. The day will come, but it will not be my voice that tells you. Mr. Osborne got up to fetch one of the six shabby volumes, and when he had returned to his chair, he went on talking. What you should do is take things quietly. You are a fine specimen, Mr. Dale, muscularly, but your nerves aren't quite so grand as your muscles. He said this just as doctors talk to patients, and as if Dale had been speaking of his bodily health. Don't worry and don't hurry. And I'd like you to read a passage here to set your thoughts on the right line. Well, well, I fancied I'd put a paper mark. I shall only garble it if I try to quote from memory. It was Dr. Clifford speaking about Jesus at our last autumn assembly. He says Jesus never put God forward as a severe judge or hard taskmaster, but as his father. Ah, here we are. May I read it? Yes, I wish to hear it. God is Father. He is our Father. To him, speaking of Jesus, and to us, God is Father. And that means we are in a deep and real sense his children, and being children, then brothers to each other. For if God must be interpreted in terms of fatherhood, then man will never be interpreted accurately until he is interpreted in the terms of brotherhood. Mr. Osborne closed the book and laid his hand on Dale's knee. How does that strike you, Brother Dale? It strikes me as beautifully worded, Brother Osborne. That's how I want you to think of him. A father's love. Nothing strange nor new about it. Just what you used to be thinking as a boy, coming home to father. I can't remember my father, said Dale simply. He died when I was a baby and mother married again. I only knew a stepfather. Then you'll know the real thing now if you join us. Mr. Osborne beamed cheerfully. Understand, I don't press you. Why should I? 
the pressure behind you is not of this earth and if it's there as i think it is you'll no more resist it than the iron bolt resists the steam ram but what steam and horsepower and he beamed all over his face this is ten thousand angel power to the square inch the rain began as dale walked up the village street in which no light except that of the public lamps was now showing it fell sharply as he emerged into the open country and then abruptly ceased the odor of dust that had been partially moistened rose from the roadway some dead leaves scurried in a ditch with a sound of small animals running for shelter and he felt a heavy tepid air upon his face as if some large invisible person was breathing life in him then the heavens opened and a flood of light came pouring down the thunder seemed simultaneous with the flash it was a crashing roar that literally shook the ground it was as if without prelude or warning every house in england had fallen every gun fired and every powder magazine blown up dale stood still trying to steady himself after the shock and ascertaining that his eyes had not been blinded nor the drums of his ears broken then he walked on slowly watching the storm the lightning flooded and forked the thunder boomed and banged and it seemed to dale that the whole world had been turned upside down when one looked up at the illuminated sky one seemed to be looking down at a mountainous landscape the clouds rent apart torn and shattered were like masses of high hills inky black on the summits with copper-colored precipices and glistening purple slopes and in remote depths of the valleys where there should have been lakes of water there were lakes of fire in the intervals between the flashes when suddenly the sky became dark one had a sensation that the earth had swung right again and that it was now under one's feet as usual instead of being over one's head dale plodding along thought of all he had read about thunderstorms it was quite true what he said to nora lightning strikes the highest object that was why trees had got such a bad name for themselves although as a fact you were often a jolly sight safer under a tree than out in the open salisbury plain he had read was the most dangerous place in england for the reason that because of its bareness it made a six-foot man as conspicuous upstanding an object as a church tower or a factory chimney would be elsewhere and he thought that if any cattle had been left out in those wide flat fields near the baptist chapel they were now in great peril mave's cows were all safe under cover then stimulated by a new thought he began to walk faster he hurried on until he came to the middle of the flats then gropingly through the darkness and swiftly through the light he made his way to a gate that he had just seen standing high and solid between the low field banks he climbed the gate a leg on each side to the top bar but one and there easily balancing himself he stood high above every other object and he thought if i am to be killed i shall be killed now i stand here at god's pleasure to take me or leave me he carefully observed the lightning it fell like a live shot a discharge of artillery aimed at a fixed point and then bursting seemed to go out in all directions till it faded with the widespread glare during this final glare after each discharge the land to its farthest horizon leaped into view then he saw all at once the baptist chapel several hundred yards away but seeming to be close ahead of him much bigger than it actually was looking familiar and yet strange looking like the ark waiting to be floated as soon as the deluge should begin 
At the same moment he saw the stones in the road, blades of grass at the side of the ditch, and nails on the gatepost near his foot. He stood calmly surveying the tremendous pageant, and thought in each roar and crash, this must be the climax. That last flash had crimson streamers, and it swamped the road with violet waves. The fury and the splendor of the thing was overwhelming. Was it brought about by nature's forces or God's machinery? Titanic, like a struggle between the divine and the evil power, some fresh rebellion of Satan just reported up there, and God rightly indignant, giving the devil what for, or God angry with man. Very magnificent, whatever way you regarded it. The worst was over, and gradually the storm began to roll away. Holding his hands high above his head, he felt the raindrops beat upon them, saw the lightning soften and grow pale, heard the thunder booming more gently, grumbling, whispering, as if it had been the voice of the Maker of heaven and earth, murmuring in sleep. Such a storm had naturally disturbed everything. Mavis and Nora were trembling on the lamp-lit threshold. Horses rattled their headstalls and stamped in the stables. Even the bees were frightened in their hives. And a cock, thinking that so much light and noise must mean morning, had begun to crow hours before the proper time. Dale, listening to the cock's crow while he told Mavis he was safe and sound, thought of Peter, the well-meaning man who wanted to believe but could not always do so. End of chapter 19. Recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's Audiobooks.com.